Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Brighton and Villa, you were so close. How weird would it have been? Or how unusual? In fact, how beautiful would it have been for a Brighton and Villa Wembley final? Uh, Weirder things have happened in women's football. The FA Cup leaves us wondering what could have been, but it's a first major final for Manchester United. Well done, guys. Well done. I will never hear the end of this. No. We look back on those two semi-finals and look ahead to two more. That's right. The last four of the Champions League is here. We speak to Alex Ibasessa for all the lowdown on Barca and Wolfsburg as both Chelsea and Arsenal look to settle some old scores. Chelsea, you've got a little bit of PTSD there, but hoping you can be better this time. Fingers crossed. Right, I mean, there's been a lot of drama this weekend, hasn't there? And I just think you couldn't have asked for a tastier, spicier FA Cup weekend. Uh, Man United obviously walking away with the win, a 89th minute goal from none other than Rachel Williams, the super sub. Uh, But they were just so close. And like, I think everyone was just so impressed with how Brighton came out. They were full of energy. Uh, I mean, they put Manchester United under a lot of pressure in those sort of opening minutes from the off. Uh, And I think everyone was thinking, is this a new manager bounce or have they just found themselves a little bit of confidence? They're the underdogs. No one's expecting them to to go through. But Manchester United also not really coming out of the blocks. I mean, Rach, you were there. What were your thoughts? Really impressed with Brighton, obviously. Um, they the way they set up frustrated Manchester United. So they they played a four four two, and it kind of prevented Manchester United really from finding any space in the middle, and they were forced out wide. That's not necessarily a bad thing when you've got one of the best right backs in the league in Onabaje. Um, but they did struggle in terms of finding that space. So I was quite impressed with how Brighton set up. Um, probably a little bit of confidence. I know they've lost their previous games under Amy Merricks, but they were playing Chelsea. Man City and Man United and they put in really impressive performances uh, in those fixtures and I know they lost 4-0 to Manchester United. Such a weird turn of events that both Manchester United and Brighton and Chelsea and Villa their last league matches were each other. That is unusual. And then they played each other like weeks later after the international break um, in the FA Cup semi so that's a weird kind of football thing. Um, but I feel like the scoreline didn't really reflect how well Brighton had actually played in that match Um so I think they probably took a lot of confidence from that in terms of ideas were starting to work for them. Um, and then you make it a, a, an FA Cup semi-final and all bets are off. There's like a different, I feel like there must, I mean, you tell me, there must be a different feeling going into that match because it's almost like you're 90 minutes from a final. It's not like a league that you're playing or fighting relegation, which could go on for five or six matches. It's it's a one-off. It just makes things different, right? Surely. 
Yeah, I think there's a special feeling. And I think especially where you've been doing so badly that there's a sort of chance for redemption there. You might not be getting anything out of the league. In fact, you might. The only thing you're getting out of the league is it's staying there uh, maybe for this season. But I think, you know, when you've got silverware, you're already at the final stages. You've got a new manager. You want to impress. You want to show her that you're, you know, worthy of the starting eleven. This feels like a, you know, a big time for everyone to collaborate and get together. And I think you're completely right. I mean, the statistic, not statistically, strategically, how Melissa Phillips sets up with those very two close banks of four, I think it completely frustrated Manchester United. And I don't think we really saw them problem solve for that first half very well. And then obviously going one nil down just before half time. I mean, I don't like to focus on goalkeeping errors. It hurts me to my core, especially from my favourite number one. But we've got to touch on the fact that that is now two big errors in two big games. Obviously, she had the fluff up uh, in the last, I think it was like two or three minutes of the, uh, no, it was like 30 seconds, wasn't it, of the finalissima. And then again, sort of turning a sort of, it was like a whipped in cross into her own goal. I mean, from the angle, I could kind of see that it hit her thumb in a weird way and she'd kind of inverted her thumb inwards and then it, the ball had deflected off it and gone into the back of the net. And it was just a completely fluky, weird thing. But I think obviously having had that previous error before, you could see the mental impact that that was having on... You could see it etched into her face. It was it was pretty killer to watch. Yeah, she was obviously understandably frustrated after it, but equally she was the first player out in the second half. and. I think she's so mentally resilient now. I think that's probably the one thing she's gone through a lot and she's spoken about in her career is her mental toughness um, and how much she's worked on that. So I said this after the finalissima, like she knows a mistake doesn't define her. Um, She knows a mistake doesn't mean she's the best goalkeeper in the world. Uh, These things happen. And to be honest, I kind of want her to get that out of her system before the World Cup so we've got the um, loss out of the way we've got the goalkeeping errors out of the way good yeah you know stop it now Um, so yeah I don't think we need to put too much on that Um, but it it was great for Brighton because when they scored it was such a good time for them to score just before half time Um, and also like credit to Via Trikisari who had the confidence she went on a great run and had the confidence to fire that from such a tight angle Um. You would, ex- I guess, you would have expected the keeper to save it, but she whipped it in, um, and a, a deserved goal for her because she'd been, she'd been really pushing on that wing uh, for Brighton. So I was impressed with that massively. And I think we've also got to talk about the other goalkeeper as well, Lydia Williams, uh, who we both saw at the uh, Australian High Convention High thing. Yeah, the Matildas was doing a massive promo event uh, in London, which was amazing. Obviously, to off the back of that. Lioness's loss. It was full of boasts and, you know, snidey little comments about how amazing the Matildas had been, which was so much fun. But there was also free wine and Prosecco. So myself and Rachel very thoroughly enjoyed the evening. But yeah, Lydia Williams was there. She was obviously, I think she had, it was an outstanding stay from her in the first, I think it was about 15 minutes in or so. And then another kind of, I, people were classing it as a save and it was technically a save but her footwork was an absolute bloody... Is this the one where she nearly conceded against Leslie Russo and or, or just about went around the post? Yeah mm. and everyone was like oh my god that's two amazing saves on the bounce and I was like no that, that second one was a... That was nervous. That was fluffy. Yeah. That was a real fluff. I've but... got a great photo of that where you've got Leslie Russo like I think it was her with the, the chance and you've got Lydia like, and it's her looking at the ball as it goes around the post and there's just the two sets of eyes just willing it to go <laughs> opposite directions. It was like it's such a good shot because you could just see the fear in her eyes and she was like, oh shit. 
I think for me, another massive impact player um, at the weekend was Lucia Garcia. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about Rachel Williams. Ah, oh, no, we'll get on to her in a second. She only came on for two bloody minutes. That's all she needs, Scored man. the winner. And then she got player of the bloody match as well. And I was Did like, she? Stop yeah. it. Vitality Women's Player of no, the Match. I was I'll like, stop. that gives absolutely no credit to anyone who's been on the pitch and, you know, brought the game back in. So. No, you're right. Lucia Garcia, um has been really good for Manchester United in the last few games and has been rewarded um, for the way she's played. I, I'm still thinking about that goal she scored at Old Trafford, that she, the way she took it down um, and put it in the back of the net. So, yeah, I have a lot of photos of her because she was doing an awful lot of running into Brighton's box. Wasn't she um, just? So she was very, very good. And it's great to see her starting now as well. Yeah, for sure. I just think she was such a powerhouse and there was a there was a chance that she had inside the box where she dribbled through about three or four players, came back out and dribbled past the same three or four players and then it was a shot directly at Lydia Williams. It was a bit of a... Uh, that, that kind of summed up actually Manchester United sort of doing really good things and also it just sort of fell flat at no the last finish. bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, she was another standout player for me and yes, we've got to touch on Rachel Bloody Williams. Does she not just do this every single game? And... Credit to Skinner because tactically, uh, that's a bit of a masterclass. Like he has someone with that experience who's a known impact sub. She knew exactly what she wanted to do, what she had to get on and do. And I think there was a comment from Skinner saying that, you know, he looked over to the bench. He said to her, are you ready? She said, yep, throw me the hell on. And then she goes and does that. I mean, <laughs> what an end. What an end to can, the game. Can we just have a think about like what, where United might be without Rachel Williams this season? Because that's like, at least two or three goals mm. that she's come on. I remember that Reading match mm. and it was nil-nil and they could not put the ball in the back of the net and she just comes on and is like, get out of my way. <laughs> Bish, bash, bosh, back of the net. And that's what she did um, at the weekend. And, you know, she probably hates being called a super sub, but I'm sorry, if you keep coming on after the 80th minute and banging in goals, it's you're going to get that moniker. I, I, it is what it is. Um, and I was so, like, you just, you there must strike some fear in the opposition team when you see her coming on. You might think, oh, there's only five minutes left. They're like, damn it. They're bringing on like the automatic goal scorer. But I do have to say there was some naivety in the way that Brighton conceded that goal. I think it was Katie Robinson who went down. Mm. I swear there was two players down. And rather than put the ball out when they had possession, they decided to like keep pushing and keep like fighting and trying to get the goal. And it's like, oh my God, put the ball out. And then Katie's Allen picked it up. The space was there where Katie Robinson wasn't. And Rachel Williams goes in and, and slots home. So there was some like naivety there from Brighton and they're the kind of mistakes they're going to learn from. Yeah, for sure. But um, yeah, I didn't know. I just thought she was, um, it was just, she's just so bloody no nonsense. Like she's got one job and she does it and that's it. And then she walks away with the player of the match. I'm like, yeah, cool. All in a day's work for, for her. Well, apparently not because she doesn't even consider football her full-time job, her day job, does she? No. Well, this is the weirdest thing. I had no idea, but uh, Williams had recently commented about her intention to go back to plastering when she hangs up her boots. Uh, that's been doing the rounds lately on uh, on socials. But, I mean, it's come a little bit too late, actually, Rach, because I've been looking for a plasterer now. I was just about to say, you've just got your new flat. Mm. You're painting it morning, noon and night. Literally. And I do wonder whether it's worth tapping her up either for, I know, some advice or, mm. you know, is there, is there any other plastering you might need? Uh, to be honest, I mean, I'm thinking about renovating the second bedroom. So I might just knock it down so that I can have Rachel Williams round for a chat, a cup of coffee and a wall plaster. Do you know what? I feel like you could bring her in in the last five minutes of your flat renovation. 
Yes. And she would absolutely put the finishing touch on it and make it beautiful because that is clearly what she does. But she is also like, I feel like she's like a demolition queen. Like I'd go in and there'd be like, there was a wall there and all of a sudden Rachel Williams just ran through it and there wasn't a wall there anymore. Yeah, and then she'd just plaster the whole thing out. Okay, I have to know. Please tweet us. What WSL player would you trust to redecorate your flat? Oof, that's difficult. You want someone diligent. Millie Bright. I don't know. I feel like Millie Bright would put her head through a lot of stuff. Yeah, but it depends what renovations you need doing. If you need walls knocking down, Millie Bright's head. Yeah. Okay. If I need the finer touches, maybe Guru Wrighton. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, she's she's very nippy, very small. I feel I like feel she can like get into the spaces, like the I'd intricate go, stuff. I'd go for a Kim Little. I okay. feel like she would turn up early. Mm. She'd work really hard. She'd limit her tea breaks. Yeah. Um, and she'd just get the job done. And like she would do like a really professional job. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. But she might get injured along the way, so that's the only downside. Anyway, oh, we'd love to know your thoughts, is, guys. That's horrible. Wow, <laughs> savage is that? That's horrible. Take that back. Uh, in your um, Q&A that you did uh, up to the game race, you said that Alessia Riso is the one to watch out for this, uh, this summer, the transfer window. Uh, would winning silverware with Manchester United swing it either way, do you think? Do you think that is going to call it? Yeah, I think... I think that's why she's holding on because she obviously, we all know, she had big offers during the winter January transfer window. Um, So I feel like that's what's holding her back. She wants to see how United do. Um, And I think, you know, if they could win a trophy and get Champions League, it'd be very tempting for her to stay. Wouldn't it just? But she's going to stay. She's okay. going to stay. Okay. Uh, Manchester United actually turned up for that game in a in their own cars. Uh, rather than a team coach. And I thought that was because they were saving the budget so they could all afford to buy <laughs> Alessia Russo at the end of this season. Tell me that I'm not wrong because they're going to have to scrape together a lot of pennies and put their hands very deep for that kid given what she's achieving this, this, uh, thus far. But both teams are back in action on Wednesday night. Brighton face Everton at home, needing three points to lift themselves out of that relegation zone. Finally, maybe. Uh, and Manchester United, massive one, travel to Arsenal in another title showdown. Uh, Brighton, Everton, I mean, Melissa Phillips, uh, who obviously seems to be the sort of saving grace, the shining light, uh, the bastion of hope. Jesus. Um, that was big, wasn't it? She's been there for about two days. Yeah, it's been about 64 seconds. But uh, <laughs> either way, um, she is in and she was speaking to the media ahead of the midweek fixture against Everton. Uh, she said the Seagulls are focusing on themselves as they look to take the opportunity to develop the identity. Seagulls further. tend to do that. Very selfish birds. Yeah, they, they are. I mean, they peck at your chips, take everything and then just sort of walk away. Me, with, me, me. Yeah, mm. but that's what they want. Maybe that's what they need to be. They need to be selfish. Uh, Rach, you seem to be calling it that if they get those three points, they're safe. I'm like obviously not statistically or like math- mathematically safe. I just think I've been worried about Brighton all season, right? I haven't hidden that on this pod. You did um, call it. I did, and after the last few outings against top sides, I've been really impressed, um, despite the results. So for me, the Everton match is huge in terms of the relegation battle because consistency is what I've we've not seen from from Brighton this mm-hmm. season, and it's all well and good playing well against top sides not picking up any points you need to be playing well against the sides that where it matters right and you need to be picking up points against those teams around you so that's what I want to see I think if they can go and win this game and win against the teams that they should well not necessarily that they should be picking up points against Everton but they have probably more of a gold pick of points against then we can start trusting the process and thinking Mm -hmm. okay the changes that are coming are are going to be consistent 
Um, so that's what I want to see. I want to see how they turn up against a team that they could potentially get points off. Uh, and then I feel like if they could beat Everton, then whatever's going on behind the scenes is working. And I think they'll pick up points further along the line and, and it'll make them safe. Um, so not to put it all on tomorrow night, uh, but I feel like it's all on tomorrow night. I want to see if they win. The thing is, Everton don't score that many goals, which is good for Brighton's defence because that's yes. probably been their biggest downfall. So... Yeah. Well, I mean, three points. This is how tight it is at the bottom. Three points would take them into... Tenth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, take them into tenth spot. And the WSL um, hasn't even kicked back off yet after the international <laughs> break. They went in, like, bottom and they'll come back potentially tenth. That is mad. And they'd be, they'd be almost joint tenth or joint ninth with Tottenham, who are also on 12 points. Uh, the only difference being the goal difference. And Brighton's goal difference is bloody astronomical uh, compared to... Well, they've got thir- minus 32 and yeah, forget, minus forget goal difference that ain't getting them anywhere this season they need points <laughs> that is absolute carnage um, but yeah I mean good luck Brian because um, fly high seagulls fly high seagulls how lovely uh, right we've got to talk about the other game the other massive massive game Chelsea Aston Villa what a matchup that was Chelsea just about picking up that win because Ar- like Arsenal Aston Villa I mean, the chances that they had, I mean, that's the thing. It was just that they weren't clinical enough in front of goal because otherwise it was incredibly evenly matched. I mean, Rach, what were your thoughts? I mean, that could have easily been Aston Villa's. Yeah, I feel I'm like heartbroken for Aston Villa because I felt like they came so close. Um, the players were gutted after the match. It turned into such a good game. Like when you compare how they played before the international break and Chelsea like ran them off the park, um, I thought the strongest players on both sides were their left and right wingers, respectively, LJ and Kirsty Hansen. Um, both had really good games. I feel like Chelsea had the better the first half. Like Villa grew into it, but actually Villa were the ones with the only real chance. Like they forced Sachira Musovic into a good save from a Lucy Staniforth shot. That was kind of the only real big save that had to be made by the goalkeepers in the first half. Um, and then second half, even though... Chelsea scored and they hit, a, they hit the bar like almost from the, the whistle in the, first, in the second half. Yeah. Um, even though Chelsea scored so early, I think it was 59th minute, um, Aston Villa looked better after the goal, which I was really impressed with. That's a shift in mentality. So rather than kind of heads down, you're against Chelsea in an FA Cup semi-final, you might think, this is it, like floodgates have opened now. Yeah. It wasn't like that. And they put their foot down and it was just a matter of inches for like I could not get over the fact that Villa didn't score like they hit the post they went just wide you know Zatira Musovic made a save players just missing out on a cross or a shot I yeah I, I cannot get over how close it was for them but I feel like they could have played another 45 minutes and still would have been hitting like in and around the goal it was almost just un- like being unlucky in a way. Um, and the ima- what I was really surprised about is that Chelsea looked quite sloppy defensively uh, for those chances. I mean, they were nowhere near. Uh, Lehman, uh, May- the mailing chance, there was just, there was only two or three bodies, Aston Villa bodies in the box or in and around the box at those points. And Chelsea had got back in numbers, but just hadn't picked them up at all. Like the set, them getting to those second balls, I think was tragic looking. It was, it was dead. It's interesting because I was actually somewhat impressed by the Marin Mielda, Magda Eriksson partnership in comparison to what we've seen previously. Mm-hmm. Like when Ericsson played at Buchanan against Leon, it looked really shaky. Um, and I felt like this was a bit more solid. Now, I think Kirsty Hansen had the the legs on Eve Perisay every time. Mm. Um, so yeah, there was some issues there. There was, you know, they had the chances. They were getting a lot of corners, Aston Villa as well. But I was quite impressed with 
Magda and Marin, I felt like they were just more comfortable with each other, which will do wonders for them going into the Barcelona game because Millie Bright won't be back and I'm not sure Buchanan, who's came back from international duty injured, will be ready either. So I think they need that under their belts. They'll be very glad that they didn't concede because that will give them a little bit of confidence. Mm. But I feel like it was a, a bit of a gamble from Emma Hayes because obviously she's got one eye on that Champions League match. That's their ultimate. I feel like they sat back and tried to protect a 1-0 lead. They made substitutions very quickly after the goal, about five minutes or so after the goal. They, um, she took off Lauren James and Melanie Leupoltz and replaced them with Ingle and Charles, much more defensively minded. Um, and then five minutes later took off Guru Wrighton. And that surprised me because I, th- I literally, as it happened, I messaged Sophie and I was like, oh my God, they're going to spend the next 25 minutes trying to protect this 1-0 lead, which they've kind of done a little bit in the past that mm-hmm. we've seen this season, which we'd be surprised at because you'd expect them to to really put a game to bed. But I guess when you're juggling so many big fixtures, it's it must be very difficult to, you know, you've always got one. I know they say they take one game at a time, but come on, you've got one eye on that cliche. match. Now they've got a fresher LJ, a fresher girl writing, um, a fresher Leupold. So it paid off, but it felt like quite a gamble. Yeah, but I think that was it. It sent out very clear signals to everyone what Emma Hayes' priorities were. I mean, yeah, the FA Cup, yeah, absolutely great. But Emma Hayes, we all know it's not a secret. She wants that Champions League trophy. So I think, yes, it was a gamble trying to preserve those kind of players, your key, your star players. But at the same time, you've got to. And like, thank God for them that they didn't go into another bloody 30 minutes and then into penalties because that would have completely depleted the plans for trying to preserve the players but it could have it could have gone to penalties and you wouldn't have had um, you know some of your star key players there for those penalty <laughs> for the penalty it would have been madness it's interesting isn't it because we've seen how unusual early substitutions for Chelsea have kind of backfired this season mm. now I guess this wasn't that early but it was early enough in terms of what they were trying to do which was bank up and protect a lead so it worked but um, I do I just I feel for Villa I think Big credit, big plaudits for Carla Ward because what she's doing there is fantastic. Um, they're showing what they're about. Um, I think there's a real shift in mentality, which is really important for teams when they're coming up against the top four. Um, you know, I was throwing in the Al Pacino quotes uh, into you the, were the group. group chat. Just it that you know that Al Pacino any given Sunday speech about inches. Do the voice inches. I I, I can't do the voice, but it says that uh, <laughs> you find out. Life's this game of inches, so is football. Because in either game, life or football, the margin for error is so small. One half step too late or too early and you don't quite make it. One half second too slow and too fast, you don't quite catch it. And I felt like that's... Oh, you need to go into management. That's what it was for at Villa. It was inches. It was like mm. just, just, just missing out. But it also shows how close they were to a Wembley final. So I think they can hold their heads up. Got to talk about the goal. I mean, Sam Kerr, who else was it going to be? Sam Kerr, Guru Wrighton. Would you have put your money on anyone else to I'd be... I'd have put my house on it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly enough, another Guru Wrighton whipped in ball. Whose head did it find? Sam Kerr for the back post. She gets some height on her. <laughs> like she's for a player who's not that tall. I was going to say, like, she's the stature of her. Like, because obviously she was at the Australian High Commission, you know, boozy event the other day. She was on her feet, though. She wasn't like jumping. She out. wasn't drinking either, just to, just to throw that in there. That was just me and Rach making the most of the free bar. But um, yeah, I mean, just the height that I'd love to see. Like, I don't, I don't think I've ever like really focused on Sam Kerr's, um, like, what are they called? Legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but... <laughs> Calves. Calves. Yeah. Because I just think like the spring that she gets, like, 
what the hell? Uh, and obviously, not to be one to compare it to men's football or anything, but it reminds me of Ronaldo because he, when he jumps, mm. he kind of he stays in the air a lot longer than you you should and floats. And she does that as well. Like when she reaches max height, she kind of stays there for a couple of seconds before coming back to earth. And I think. That's what she does. She just gets heads and shoulders over the tallest defenders. I don't know how she does it. It's just defying gravity is what it is. Oh, I'm going to um, sing now. No, I won't. Don't do it. Please don't do it. It's just, it's a Tuesday. It's too early. Um, and obviously she was such a key part of their performance uh, in the uh, in the Lionesses losses recently. So, um, yeah, I'm just hoping that she's amazing for the World Cup. Also Protect her at all so costs. Yeah, not that. Like first game, I feel like if Australia could just, you know, take their time finding their feet, Sam Kerr, mm. maybe a bit under pressure. A bit against, rusty. Against Ireland. And then like go for it, have a brilliant World Cup. Just in the first game, just you don't have to do that. Yeah, be a oh, bit slow. Also, I just like to say Ireland played the USA twice in this international break. Lost 2-0, lost 1-0. That is not a bad result for them. That is not a bad result. I love how you shoehorn that so, in. Listen, you and your Man United. I had to shoehorn it in. Somewhere. I was so fair about Man United. I even went to goalkeeping hours. You were, but you, you shoehorn Man United into every episode. So let me have this. <laughs> not true. Emma Hayes' side are still on track for the treble, but they face a huge test this weekend against Barcelona. It will be very interesting to see defensively how Chelsea are going to be setting up. But... Oh, there was a big intake of breath there, Rach. Oh, I'm what? Just nervous, what? 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 I'm just nervous. That's all. I was gonna say, like she said, Bright definitely won't be. You can and might, and I just feel like when I say Hayes says a player might be, they won't be. I mean, that is the line that she takes with all of her players. They're and fine. Injuries. They're absolutely fine. They're fine. Don't worry about it. Meanwhile, crutches, boots, and surgery. <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's not funny, man. Wait, though, we did see Pernilla Harder on the bench for Aston Villa. Like, didn't bring her on. But she was on the bench. They'd had a whole post. They were like, look, he's back. They had her shirt up in the in the changing rooms. So that is a big, big glimmer of hope for Chelsea. I really hope she makes it back. She might not start against Barca, but she might come on in the first leg and she could play a key role. Um, so that is a big positive sign. Back in the game, harder back in the game. Uh, right, we're It will make get... them harder to beat. Oh my God. No? Oh. Gosh, well, okay. at least you didn't seem to find gravity. That's the only thing I'm really happy about. You just you wait. Oh. It'll be the outro. You don't need to. Right, we're going to get stuck into those two semi-finals in part two with Alex. The Champions League semi-finals are upon us this weekend. Arsenal travel to Wolfsburg and Chelsea host Barcelona. We had to look ahead to these cracking fixtures and we knew who to call up and let us know how they were doing and also what to look out for. Alex Ibaceta, thank you for joining us. Uh, friend of the pod, uh, we've got to start with Chelsea-Barcelona. Uh, this is a rematch of the 2021 final uh, obviously, in which Chelsea probably won't want to remember having lost that 4-0. Uh, I mean, what's the mood like in Spain, uh, sort of about facing this uh, this Chelsea side? It looks a little bit different this year. Yeah, I think, to be fair, I think everyone's quite excited about it. I think because of the... It's hard to explain the rivalry between Chelsea and Barcelona. I think when that final came up, Barcelona players were were quite excited about the prospect of it. I think because... I think it was Sam Kerr's tweet from the Leon final... Um, saying that is this competitive uh, so I think a lot of Barcelona players take that quite personally and it's quite funny to see kind of that it's not really beef either it's just fun motivation I think for players to to kind of come up against that but I think 
Chelsea as well, the, the way they hold themselves um, quite highly and, and it's, you know, they have every right to saying that they want to win, that they, they had the team to win it. I think that just sparks Barcelona up um, quite a lot as well. And they would like to prove that, no, you know what, we can beat Chelsea and, and we can prove to be, you know, the best team in Europe at the moment um, against a team that thinks they are the best in the moment. So I think for Barcelona, it's it's all about motivation. I think they're quite fired up and pumped to to go up against Chelsea. I quite like that rivalry there. <laughs> it, it, that kind of reminds me of like when they used to say Serena Williams and uh, uh, Maria Sharapova had a rivalry. It, but was, it was it was very one sided beef, <laughs> but it was like yeah. so one sided. Um, but yeah, like you said, like I think understandably Chelsea are confident because they're the best in England, you know, so you can understand that and um, in terms of that confidence. But I do feel like this one, especially media-wise, are very like cautious as we approach this because we're like, yeah. this is, you know, we've learned our lesson. I think Chelsea learned their lesson as well in a painful way. You know, I still have nightmares about watching that match. Um, but looking at Barca, they haven't had a perfect record in the competition so far, um, losing 3-1 to Bayern in the group stages, but then obviously absolutely smashed Roma in the second leg of the last eight. So, how does this Barcelona team compare to that side who battered Chelsea? Uh, it's a hard one because obviously quite a few players have gone. Uh, for example, Lika Martins, I thought was big in that game. She's obviously not there anymore. But then you have replacement players such as Mariona, who should be back for that already. Um, but at the same time, you do have a lot of injury blows for Barcelona, stating the obvious, Alexia. Um Claudia Pina as well, I think she was having an excellent season kind of filling in for Alexia in the midfield and for Mariona on the wing when she got injured. And I think that was a, a big blow for Barcelona. But at the same time, now that it's come towards the end of the season, I think Barcelona have finally clicked. Um, that loss against Bayern Munich in the group stage, I think, was a Barcelona that was still trying to figure out what to do with the midfields and with the injuries that they picked up. And I think now you're finally starting to see a, a more settled side um, that's quite confident in the way they're playing and, and quite different to how they started the season. I think in the start of the season, they definitely struggled quite a lot. They weren't the, the Barcelona team that you kind of expected them to be or wanted them to be, essentially. And they've progressed slowly but surely to get to the point where they are now to, to finally get comfortable with having an Alexia, you know, Alexia-less midfield and picking up those injuries, they, they've kind of learned to to progress without that. And also a lot of the young players have finally settled into the team quite well. Uh, Salma Parayuelo, Jayce, you know, these players just came in this season quite young. And it's they came from teams that are quite the opposite of a Barcelona team in terms of professionalism, style play, intensity and pace and training. Um, so they've finally had time to, to settle down. So it's a completely different team to that of Chelsea, but at the same time, the standard hasn't changed. You know, the standard of Barcelona is always going to be the same. So it's a different team, but same same level of uh, greatness. Alex, word on the street is that Alexi Piteas could be making her return for this semi-final, obviously picking up the ACL injury uh, just before the Euros last year. Uh, I mean, how much have they missed her this season? She's obviously had... I mean, she's a massive impact player, isn't she? She's She's been incredible uh, in the previous season. So, yeah, how much do you think this has affected them? Uh, greatly. And I think, you know, as I, as I mentioned before, the start of the season, Barcelona didn't really know what to do. I think because Alexia, I mean, Alexia was never really a one, you know, Barcelona isn't a one player team, but you saw it in the men's side with Messi. The 
the play that they both give Barcelona is on a different level than any other player is going to ever, you know, give that team. So despite, you know, Barcelona not being a one-player team, the level that Alexia was at in particular at that point in the career, I mean, when she's won, you know, two Ballon d'Ors in, in a row, the UEFA Player of the Year, everything, you know, that says a lot to how she was playing. And when you lose, one, a player like Alexia Potellas, two, the form that Alexia Potellas was in, it's obviously going to impact the team. And I think it's taken this long for Barcelona to feel comfortable without her. I think Aitana Bonmati was the main player to replace Alexia. And she said it in an interview. She said at the beginning, she was trying really hard to be like Alexia. She was trying to fill in that Alexia gap. And at the end, she kind of realized that the way that she's going to fill in Alexia's gap is to be herself and kind of go from that. And I think you've seen that quite a lot. I think Aitana Bonmati has stepped up uh, quite big. You know, she's... She's scoring, she's assisting, she's doing plays and putting people on the floor like there's no tomorrow. So I think Barcelona at this moment, ironically, when Alexia is just about to come back, they've finally settled into an Alexia-less team. Um, but I think also that gives Alexia, that relieves pressure off Alexia because I don't think Barcelona are that desperate to have her back. I think it'll be quite natural for her to slowly progress back into the team and she doesn't have that pressure of coming on uh, quite immediately because the club really run her back. I mean, everybody wants her back, the team want her back, the club want her back. But because Barcelona are fine without her, she can kind of ease that pressure off of herself, which I think is is the best possible scenario for her. I'm glad you brought Bon Mati up because she's one of my faves. Um, and Dazone have been highlighting her versus Cuthbert as the, one of the key battles in midfield. How do you see that clash going? Oof. I think it's going to be quite... It's going to be quite fun, I think. Um... I think the way to do... I mean, you saw it against... Uh, Bayern Munich did it quite well. Wolfsburg did it uh, well in the second leg last season when they beat Barcelona. The way to, to get at Barcelona is obviously to cut their movement in the midfield and start the counter-attack quite quickly. Um, and we know that Aaron Cuthbert is quite good at interrupting play in the midfield um, at whatever means possible. So I think Aaron Cuthbert in the, in the tactical battle of getting the ball back from Barcelona and quickly starting that attack when you have, you know, Sam Currigura and Lauren James that can easily get go into spaces, make good runs and, and hold the ball up. I think Aaron could be quite important in that key battle. Um, just as much as like Dana Bormadi, Dana Bormadi has been, you know, all over the pitch, spraying the ball out, um, getting the goals, getting the assists, doing whatever she needs to be. And she's in that form that everything just comes out for her. She'll try to do anything and she'll, she can do whatever she wants on the pitch right now and, and it, it will all go well at any point. So I think Aaron Cuthbert would be important to, to kind of get Chelsea the ball back and let them play a bit. But Aitana is going to be, you know, the centre of, of attention in, in terms of putting the ball. Every play will go through Aitana Bonmati essentially to go forward. So I think each of them have a different role, um, but I think quite key in the midfield, yeah. Uh, another key player that we could see returning this weekend, Penil Harder. Uh, she was named in the squad for, for Aston Villa, so we could uh, could finally see some minutes back, which would be lovely. I love that. That'd be so amazing. Hopefully, welcome back, Penil. We've missed you. Turning to Arsenal semi final, their opponents, Wolfsburg, are behind Bayern, who Arsenal, of course, beat in the last eight, but they just batted them at the weekend 5 0 in the final of the DFB Pokal, uh, which is a more accurate, accurate reflection of the Wolfsburg team. It's a hard one. I think uh, I think Bayern Munich have been the better team overall, Wolfsburg. Um, 
when you look at the consistency throughout the season. But I think from the beginning, I said it from the beginning of the Champions League, I think Wolfsburg have one of the best, if not the best overall squad in the Champions League. Uh, and that includes Barcelona. Um, when you have Jule Brands, Jan Satir, uh, Tabea Vazmut, Svenja Huth coming off the bench, when you already have Alex Pop, um, Ewa Bayor and Joe Ward, you know, you, I can just go on forever. So I think this Wolfsburg team can be quite inconsistent. I think their their weakness is their defense sometimes. And you've seen that in the past. Uh, and you see it in the group stage, you know, in the group stage like in the Champions League, they didn't do too well. They drew a few games that they should have easily won. Um, you know, their attacking players have off days as well. So I think Wolfsburg, you should, you should take them as pretty much an almost a perfect team in terms of attack but they do have their weaknesses which Arsenal can easily get at and when you look at the wings when you look at the center backs and I think their center backs can be caught quite flat-footed a lot of times so when you have Cena Blackstenius making those runs I think that could be quite important so I think Wolfsburg should be respected but I think not to the point where Arsenal should be kind of looked at as the underdogs. Interesting. And then final question, because I know you are a busy woman. Um, Arsenal obviously going to be without Kim Little, who the club announced yesterday will be out, sadly, for the rest of the season. Uh, against Bayern, we then saw Leah Williamson step into midfield and do a really great job. But could that absence be more damaging against Wolfsburg? That's, it's a hard one to... It's a hard one to think about, because when you look at Kim Little, especially when you look at that game that Arsenal played against Chelsea, I think Kim Little was pretty much the, the most important important player on the pitch for Arsenal in terms of she was able to drag Chelsea players out into space. She was able to create space for other players. She was able to calm down the, the tempo, which I think sometimes Arsenal needs, especially if Arsenal go a goal down, for example, their their heads get lost a lot of the time. And I think Kim Little kind of imposes that calmness into it. But at the same time, I think, for example, if Aaliyah Williamson goes into that position in the midfield, I think Leah Williamson gives a lot more confidence going forward. It it's a different style of play. Kim Little instills a lot of the tempo and holding of the ball and distributing of the ball for someone else to take the ball forward, for example. Whereas Leah Williamson has that confidence to get the ball and say, right, let's go, we're attacking right now. Um so I think it I think it, it really depends on how the players around that position react. Um if I think Leo Valti could easily pick up that role that Kim Little did in terms of slowing down the tempo, opening up the space. Um, she would obviously have to be conscious of of kind of replacing that role in the midfields. Um, so I think, I think it's a hard one because with Wolfsburg, I think you do have to be quite aggressive, um, especially with the players that Arsenal have up top. But at the same time, you have to be confident that a player like Leo Valti could take on the role of of calming down the team and and being that key figure like Kim Little is. All right, and not to put you on the spot or anything, Alex, we don't like doing that here, but um, predictions for both. <laughs> Who is going to the Champions League final? Mm. It's, it's honestly, it could go either way. I think I am, I am quite confident in Barcelona and being able to, to get that, that game forward, especially when you saw Chelsea against Lyon and how they kind of collapsed in that second leg, especially. Um I think Chelsea aren't at their best form right now. That's not saying that, you know, they're not capable of winning. I think they are capable of winning Barcelona. But at the same time, I think Barcelona is just a much better spot. So I would say Barcelona. And 
I think I, I think I'm gonna go for Arsenal. I, I doubted them and I doubted them in the quarterfinal, but seeing how they've come together in the last few games, um, I think getting to this point has been the hardest bit, and I think they can taste going to the final quite closely. And I think honestly that that can kind of get them together and get them over the line. All right, brilliant. Barcelona, Barcelona or Arsenal it is. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Alex. Really appreciate you jumping back on the pod and giving us your Champions League insight, in-depth uh, knowledge there. Um, yeah, have a good weekend. It's going to be a busy one. Yeah, definitely. Flights and flights and flights. Right, Rach, uh, we've covered a lot this pod, covered a lot of very interesting, tasty games. Uh, but I, I mean, I know where you're going to be this weekend, but let us know anyway. Go on. Well, firstly, I'm at that Brighton Everton game. I know everyone's going to be looking at Arsenal Man United, so will I. That is the biggie. But I will be at the Everton Brighton game, Brighton Everton game. So that's first. And then Sophie will be covering from Stamford Bridge. Unfortunately, I'm speaking at an event on Saturday in Manchester. Very posh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we are flying over to Hanover to get to Wolfsburg for Sunday's. Big clash for Arsenal. Oh my God, that's going to be quite a big weekend, isn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty much going to be the same. I'm going to be sat on my new sofa in my new house, which Rachel Williams has just recently plastered, <laughs> and uh, watching the Chelsea-Barca game. Uh, we're probably a little cheeky little takeaway, actually. I might get a couple beers in, sit down. It'll be lovely, absolutely lovely. And then, yeah, this Sunday, I'll be at the Palace game. We face Lewis at home. Uh, and then, yeah, watching the uh, Arsenal-Wolfsburg um, semi-final first leg. So it's going to be a lovely weekend of football, isn't it? What a dream. What a dream. Might even get out of the balcony for what it. What takeaway are you going to get? Because uh, that's all I took from that little speech. Well, I always say like carb loading is the best way. So pizza and it's a Hawaiian. I'm going to throw it out there. I like pineapple Oh my God, pizza. so do I, Chloe. Yes. yes. The, can we high five on Go that? on. Come on. Yes. What is the ideal takeaway? I'm telling you, I'm sorry, pineapple on pizza is yes. So we're carb loading for football, obviously, to kind of make sure that, Absolutely. you know, we can watch it to the best of it's our abilities. It's going to be tense. Okay. Guys, what do you eat when you're watching football? Wait, best what's takeaway? yours? What's yours? Um, I do enjoy some, I do enjoy carb loading. I'd probably go pasta oh, or nice. a bit of Thai. Okay. Yeah. All right, lovely. Great choices. Let us know yours. Uh, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Upfront. If you've got any questions for us, tweet us at Football Ramble. Rach is at Girls on the Ball and I am at Morgie underscore 89. We'll be back next week with a special guest. So stay tuned. See you next week. Bring me down. Upfront is a stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.